We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I am Dr. Kelly Brogan, and today I wanted to share a bit about a book that my children have enjoyed seeing on my couch for the past several weeks called The Sacred Prostitute, Eternal Aspects of the Feminine. And it's by Nancy Qualls Corbett. It was recommended to me by Ari, a Vital Life Project member, and it has come to me at a time when I am in deep exploration of what I'm calling the reclamation of Eros. So just by way of a brief primer on what it is that I mean by reclamation of Eros, I think of Eros as being the animating 
life force energy. So the spark of the divine within each of us, and that we are triangulated against, we are pit against our vital force energy from very, very early on, whether it's the first moment that we bite our mom's nipple nursing and she says, you hurt mommy, don't do that. Or we're told to stop jumping on the couch or stop crying, calm down, or whether we are caught masturbating, right? We are brought into an experience of ourselves, of our impulses, and of this energy that is moving through our bodies, this animating life force energy as shameful. We experience that energy as wrong and as the source of punishment and consequences. Then we go to school and we understand that we don't know this body, right? So this body is something that somebody else has to direct because it has all of these biological impulses and it does all of these weird, dirty things. And so we raise our hands to go pee-pee, ignoring when we might have the natural inclination to do so. We eat at very prescribed times. If you heard my interview with River Roaring, you learned about this concept of boner shame, right? When boys are raised to understand that any movement of their genitals at any time is a problem, but then they're expected to have like a rock hard cock in the bedroom on command, right? And we go to the doctor and we are enculturated around this concept that our bodies are these ticking time bombs that need to be managed and commandeered by an outside expert. And then emotionally, of course, we're raised by these emotionally immature individuals and a legacy of such. And we are introduced to our own emotional realm as being something that is a problem. It's a burden and perhaps worse, like a source of pain for our parents. So we learn to self-suppress, we learn to self-abandon, and we learn to self-reject going on to attract these dynamics and experiences in our adult life. This separation from our animating life force energy leads to many social phenomena that are relevant today and in the current moment, including, you know, gender warfare, right? So this man-woman dynamic that we are in the midst of, all you need to do is scroll social media to to hear about the rejection that is rife of men against women and women against men. And this deep primal experience of fear-based relating to the opposite gender, right? So many discuss how a man's biggest fear is that a woman will shame him or laugh at him. And a woman's biggest fear, of course, something that we walk the earth with is the reality, the biological reality that we can be killed by a male aggressor at any time, right? So this dynamic of controversy is enlivened by the split that we experience away from our eros, away from this, what could be characterized as the primal feminine force, but in all of us, in men and in women, the confusion that arises from that is legion. There is also the rendering of a controllable population, a people who are raised, divorced from their own life force energy in a victim triangle against their own bodies are controlled through shame, right? So if all of your animating energy, all of your sexual energy, all of your connection to aliveness 
is something that you experience as fear inducing, then it's something that you're going to hide. And when there's something that you have to hide to gain social acceptance and connection, you are controllable through social shame. And there is a war (laughs) that begins inside of yourself. And this war is reflected on the outside and the triangulation that becomes available in the warfare consciousness requires that you pick a side, right? This is how the Hegelian dialectic plays out. You pick a side, you reject what is seemingly not you, even though it's just your disavowed parts, and you attempt to align yourself with virtue, with goodness. And then there is the eroticized struggle. So if you've heard my interview with Carolyn Elliott on the subject of existential kink, you know that when we are not empowered yet to claim our own vitality, our experience of pleasure, when we are not aligned with desire as a benefic force in our lives, we get off on our problems, right? It's the closest we can come to an experience of arousal and a relief from the numbness and dissociation. So it's the pattern of disappointment and the fetishized experience of the fear that comes when you can't pay the rent or when you lose the thing or when you repeatedly experience your own betrayal. This becomes a space where your erotic energy lives. And often you heard my podcast on the erotic mind, you know that our fantasies can lead us to the place where we have a lot of captured erotic energy. It is in the taboo. It is in the shame spaces that this energy locked up holds us captive in our own small, repetitive, redundant life stories. And if we don't know this, then we continue to experience our own victimhood and really relish it, the deliciousness of it. The resolution of controversy the end of the zero-sum game and the ongoing experience of superiority and victimhood requires that we find the yin in the yang. As Amrili says in another podcast, why am I referencing like 7,000 podcast episodes in another podcast episode on Family Constellation that you can listen to as she has taught me, right? one of the principal tenets of family constellation is to identify the perpetrator, to find that villain, to find that enemy. And to say this simple phrase, I see myself in you. So when we can understand that between the yin and the yang organized into their polarized energies, their seemingly irreconcilable differences is a little dot of the other (laughs) in each then we can understand the principle of complementarity and proper polarity. It is my belief that in polarity and specifically the man-woman dyad, there is a free energy technology available. And that when we can understand what our respective roles are, we can lift the veil. We can wake up from the narcotic of our victim programming around this gender war. And we can come into resolution of the shame that we have around our own bodies and sexuality. We will have reclaimed the most powerful technology that is available to us as human beings. And this may require that we 
integrate and resolve the many century old split between sexuality and spirituality. It may require that we spiritualize sexuality and that we sexualize spirituality. And one of the emblematic splits in this arena is called the Madonna whore split. In this split, of course, the Madonna holds the mother archetype and is to be fertilized or feared. <laughs> and the whore is just a portal of transgression into the realm of sin and failure and rejection and abandonment by God. But when we split these energies and we assign virtue to the light feminine and we disconnect from the dark feminine eros within, we set the conditions for parentified man-woman dynamics and specifically the dread mommy-son relational dyad. So Nancy writes in The Sacred Prostitute, when reality creeps into that garden, often after the marriage ceremony, the projections begin to shatter. The man may feel himself strangling in the noose of his partner's expectations. Her very goodness then evokes his guilt as he fantasizes freedom with a real woman who can receive him as a real man. While he loves his perfect mother, at the same time he seeks to escape her dark side, the devouring witch to whom he can never give enough. She, insecure in her own womanhood and sensing his withdrawal, finds herself clinging like a rejected child to a father who is pulling away. So if this parentified projection-laden dynamic is the result of man-woman warfare and controversy is the result of the split that we experience against our own bodies and sexuality and is the result of the segregation of sexual energy from the spiritual domain, then we have an opportunity here to bring into complementarity these energies that have been in adversarial dynamics for many, many years. So the author invites us back to a time, at least purportedly, where this archetype was active, the archetype of the sacred prostitute, who was a woman resting in the temple, who would be visited by a stranger, by a man who was fated to encounter this woman for his own spiritual expansion and for the two of them to serve the goddess of love through the sexual encounter. She writes, the dominant images in the Western world are those of power, wealth, and technical knowledge. These are the gods we currently honor. We no longer worship the goddess of love. Consequently, we have no container for sexual ecstasy, the numinous state where the inner core of the individual is awakened and revealed to the self and the other. So what she is suggesting is that we have lost touch with sexuality as a portal to God, as a transcendent experience that invokes the flesh, invokes the body in divine reclamation and contact. Of course, she discusses the role of religion in this orchestrated segregation of divinity and sexuality. She references a quote, 
which is where the God is male and father only and is associated with law, order, civilization, logos, and superego religion and the pattern of life which it encourages tends to become a matter of these only to the neglect of nature, instinct, feeling, eros, and what Freud called the id. Such a religion so far from binding together and integrating may all too easily become an instrument of repression and so of individual and social disintegration. And she references a collective stage, right? So if we look at our collective evolution as maturational, then perhaps there is a collective stage characterized by the devaluation of the feminine where this wounded, immature feminine in all of us flees from nature, seeks control and domination, is attracted to commerce and technology, militarism, and this monotheistic model of father figure. I certainly would add that more recent agendas, including feminism, see one of my earliest podcasts on this subject, and even the sexual liberation agenda that began, of course, in the 60s, was perhaps socially engineered to leave us feeling very confused around the role of sexuality and actual sexual engagement in our personal lives, right? Left us feeling at this point, certainly post Me Too era, confused about how scary sexuality is and especially predatory male energy to the extent that, you know, you need to fill out a consent form to dance with somebody at a high school prom, but also like entitled to the hedonism of hookup culture and, you know, diminishing what sexuality even means, especially for women, especially in this moment of birth control-based neutralization of gender roles in the sex act. And then layer on that, the new age movement, which suggests that there is such a thing as good sex, which is spiritual energetic sex with eye gazing and connection and engagement of the microcosmic orbit. And then there's like dirty, bad, kinky sex, right? There's animalistic carnal sex and that's bad, right? So we're left feeling that there's good and bad sex. There's good and bad women. There's good and bad men. And there is a striving for virtue in this space that is in defiance of our own sexual shadows and the possibility that we have to mature our inner masculine and our inner feminine in service of the polarity that is available through the sacred dyad, the sacred union of the man and the woman. So Jung talks about the enema within every man. So that imprint of woman that he projects onto every woman and also feminine principles, including the natural world. And the integration and maturation of this negative anima is something that can be engaged so that we end the controversy, so that we end the war, so that we have the capacity to inhabit our respective polarized energies in service, in devotional service to the egregore, this sacred bond between man and woman that is possible in sexual union. This devotional comportment is really not available when you are in the woundology of your parental dynamics and when you are in rejection of the shame-filled parts of you 
that are easier to judge in projection on the outside. So Nancy writes, the stage of anima development in a man is concretely reflected in his external relationships with women. When he views the female as a sinister threat, someone to distrust, or as an inferior species which must be kept in its place, it is a sign that his inner feminine nature is still at a juvenile stage, ready to tease and taunt the male. Such a man steals himself against emotions lest they manifest in over-sentimentality or inappropriate aggression. The inner feminine and relationships with women develop reciprocally when he is able consciously to value the feminine. Both the inner and outer woman may then be recognized as the embodiment of joy, passion, inspiration, creativity, spirituality, and in the highest order, wisdom. A mature anima manifests in a man's veneration for the strength and capacity of the love goddess. So perhaps that quote makes it clear that it is not possible that at the collective level, we can resolve controversy, warfare, and victim consciousness that feeds and fuels so many of the ongoing struggles and fear and control-based efforts to secure a different result from applying the same approach of domination and hierarchical superiority. It's not possible to resolve that until these inner dynamics are addressed, right? Until that projected negative anima is integrated and positioned as the subject of devotion and worship in service to the animus. And similarly, the woman of course, right? Who lives in fear of penetration by the divine masculine will arrest her development in this childlike posture and will experience the limited receptivity of her heart to the gifts of her life space. She will not allow herself to be penetrated by the passions that she brings to the space of her life. And she will recruit this like simulacrum, this fake man, <laughs> this sort of stand-in to play the role of her inner masculine that comes from the negative anima, right? That comes from this wounded place in her feminine. So Nancy writes of a woman's development. She says, the woman who accepts her physical and psychological femininity lives in harmony with the sacred prostitute within. She serves the goddess of love by attending the holy fire of her inner feeling. This is the central warmth of her being, and care must be taken that it does not blaze up to consume or flicker out. Only in freely chosen service to the goddess is she released from the yoke of servitude to many masters. This enables her to sacrifice ego demands, the need to dominate, to possess, to find security in a man's devotion. The ego then acknowledges a higher authority, the self. Women who are conscious of their true feminine being are attentive to the wisdom of the heart. They do not allow this to be contaminated by collective norms and ideals. This wisdom in men as well as in women resides in the body 
and is related to the principle of Eros. Through it, women come to realize their true instinctive nature as it unites with the spirit, the male stranger in the ritual of the sacred marriage. So I discussed this in a recorded masterclass that I did called Crazy to Creatrix because of how interested I am in what it is to come into reclamation of our dark erotic energy, the ways in which we have relegated our sexual relationships to ourselves into this split dichotomy, right? This good and virtuous sexual activity and the dirty, shameful, taboo inclinations and what it is to understand the dimensions of ourselves that are both, right? That are spiritualized sexuality and sexualized spirituality, understanding how God animates all of it and can be accessed through the temple prostitute while also acknowledging the power of that sacred marriage and the technology of divine union. And as we resolve the fear and shame that are energizing our own sexual taboos and the dimensions of our inner badness, the resolution of projections onto the opposite gender becomes available And the maturation of our inner man as a woman and inner woman as a man, it almost unfolds, right? So that the negative projections on the outside get recalled inward. And there is this reverence that develops. I know the maturation of my inner masculine has gone from some sort of adolescent, abusive tyrant, predator inside of me to this space-holding, devotional, kingly energy that has got me, right? And that is is here for me, interested, committed, attentive, and present, no matter what is swirling, no matter how weird it gets inside. I develop my inner husband, whereas I imagine in a man, it is the reciprocal, right? Where the development from, as Omrapani would call it, the girlfriend archetype, right? That teasing, taunting, manipulative, you know, sort of sexually utilitarian archetype is matured into the wife, this service-oriented, supportive helpmate, right? That every man develops that inside of himself from that hysterical, scary witch that was living inside of him. And through this inner maturation, but also through the collective acknowledgement of how these segregations, how this divorce, how this rejection energy only revivifies that which we imagine could be resolved, right? It is the zero-sum game. So collectively, when we acknowledge that, we have an opportunity to explore what does polarity look like? What does complementarity look like? What are our roles? Who is holding what energies? And how do we come into this resolution? this evolution and this transformation of victim consciousness and associated controversy so that we can step into the next chapter of our story as adult embodied human beings. And these adult embodied human beings access God through our 
flesh through these exquisitely energetically sensitive vessels that are our bodies through birth and death and sex and through the animation of our emotions. This reclamation, I think, is on deck <laughs> for us as a collective. And I'm so interested in those who have been speaking to this reframe and this paradigm shift for decades. So I hope that was helpful. Talk to you soon.